Lenny. Hi, Nancy. Welcome to episode 41 of the Front Porch Book Club. The Front Porch Book Club is a podcast that meets twice a month. We like to dig deep into the relationship between characters and the worlds they live in. Grab your book and iced tea and join us on the Front Porch. So, Lenny, it's November. Brr. <laughs> <laughs> November. I'm in a sweatshirt and jeans. I'm cold. Oh, poor you. That's so sad. I don't know that the coldness of November has any direct relationship to the book that we're reviewing this month. It's The Sweetness of Water by Nathan Harris. And this book received great acclaim for the debut novelist. It was an instant New York Times bestseller and Oprah's book club pick one of President Obama's favorite books of 2022, winner of the Ernest J. Gaines Award for Literary Excellence, and recipient of many other awards. The Washington Post deemed it a, quote, miraculous debut. Well, those are a lot of wonderful accolades for this. This book is set in Georgia, just as the Civil War ends. The experience is this unlikely bond between two freedmen, I think they're freed like a week before the book starts, who are brothers, and their names are Prentice and Landry. And then there's a nearby farmer who is George Walker, and he has a wife, Isabel, and they have learned that their son has died fighting for the Confederate Army. So that's where the book picks up. So this is a really interesting setting for the book. You mentioned they have just been freed, this immediate aftermath of the Civil War. And for me, it's a period in American history that I haven't read many novels based in. I have read a lot of novels based during the Civil War or quite a while after the Civil War. But this period of time, slaves have been freed and what is happening in the South was really an interesting setting, I thought. And there are themes of family love and grief and misunderstanding, racism, class differences, sexuality. And the author, Nathan Harris, handles all these issues with, I think, a lot of sensitivity and grace. And the realism in his characters is also something that makes the book so compelling. Oh, yeah. It sucks you right in to this particular time. And like you, Nancy, I don't know that I read any books just as the Civil War ends and what is really happening there. So I liked the book, and there's a lot of different areas that we can talk about in this book. But what did you like about the book, Nance? You're the one who suggested that we read it. Mm-hmm. Well, there are two things I think that I liked most about the book, and they're both more abstract than concrete. First, I thought his writing was so evocative in a different sort of way than many other books. It's not so much the specific passages, but this overall spell that he casts. I felt like I was in a time that moved more slowly, which I'm sure uh, the South during that time did move more slowly than our hectic modern times, but it felt like there was this kind of gauzy veil hanging between the story and me that reiterated that this is all happening in a past that is really hard for us to understand. 
But then the second thing that I liked, even though it felt distant, the themes felt very contemporary. Themes like, how do we get past anger for passing ways of life in a country that has experienced a schism? That felt very contemporary to me. The white people in Old Ox, the town where this is set, they're very angry. They've been defeated by the North and that a way of life they knew is gone. And for me, that really echoed, I think, the kind of anger a lot of people are feeling in our country for different things that they feel that they've had in their life that have been taken away from them. And then also the themes of what does it mean to allow others to live as they choose? So Lenny, two questions for you. What did you like about the book? And then I'm really interested in hearing what you thought about the outrage of white neighbors that George Walker paid newly freed slaves, <laughs> Prentice and Landry, the same wage to work on his farm as he would have a white worker. But first, tell me what you liked. <laughs> well, there's a lot of this book that I like. You talked first about the gauzy veil. You said a slower time. I felt the same thing. It was like people wandering around in bewilderment. Where yes. are we supposed to go? What are we supposed to do? There's all these people camped along the roadsides and in the woods. People that are trying to get home that were fighting for their way of life. So you've got the Confederate soldiers, I think, moving south. And there's that kind of group. And then there are the freed slaves who are like, okay, well, I'm leaving the farm. They they leave the master. And then they, they don't have any place to go. So they're yeah. kind of camped out in the woods. They kind of took the bedding from their bed, the sheets, the clothes on their back. And okay, I made it. I'm free. But I'm sitting in the woods figuring out like, what happens next? Where should I go? So it does kind of start out in sort of this bewilderment, mm -hmm. which I thought was really interesting. And George seems somewhat bewildered as well. Yes. Like he can't figure out how to get home. <laughs> like, okay, these are your woods. We know that the neighbor is the one who had the slaves. This isn't that far from home. And yet he can't seem to find his way either. So it's kind of like everybody's in somewhat of a daze as we start the book. What did I like about the book? I think it opened up a bit of history for me that I really wasn't sure about or had explored. But yeah, a lot of different facets here from even patriotism and the scrutiny that the soldiers were put under too when they returned home. Like how much fighting did they have? Were they heroic? What was their experience? Because these stories then came home with them. Yes. And so that was an interesting theme as well. And something that haunts Caleb, who is George Walker's son. Mm -hmm. So it had a lot of different areas, Nance, that we could talk about. Well, I thought that just this whole feeling of economic injustice by the white people was fascinating. So what did you think about how the white neighbors were so against George paying Prentice and Landry the same wage to work on his farm as he would white workers? I just thought that was fascinating, this prevailing feeling that the slaves are still lesser than. Yes. Oh, absolutely. 
big theme in the story, not only because of the color of their skin and that they were once slaves, there's certainly a classism, there is a privilege, there is wealth that is tied up into all of this too. Yeah. And then you've got a society of, it sounds like a lot of homelessness. Yeah. Because their properties were set on fire by the North as the North was coming down. So you've got a lot of homelessness and a lot of poverty. Yeah. And and then we've got George <laughs> who who has no sons. And he is wanting to farm his land. Um, there's a lot of poverty around him, and he hires these two guys who are happy to to work and get some money so that they can get tickets to take the train north and start their new lives. So it's a wonderful opportunity for these two. I knew, Nance, that once the Civil War was over, that racism was continuing and continued for a long time and continues to today. So that part did not surprise me at all that George's neighbor was not happy with him at all. And that just doing that act was going to separate them from the townspeople because they were clinging on to their old life and old ox. I love the name old ox because it did sound like this is going to be a traditional old way of thinking. I mean, old ox, that sounds like a decrepit town. And it was. Yeah. So I loved the name that the author came up with for the town. I thought that was symbolic in and of itself. But I do like George because as bewildered as he is at the beginning, he starts straightening his spine up a bit and he becomes this person who's like, I'm living my life the way I want. And if the whole town's against me, the whole town's against me. I'm doing this. Yeah, I definitely liked how George changed throughout the story, how he had been kind of aimless and in fact had never really farmed his land because he was also kind of a lazy guy. Well, yeah, why not? (laughs) You got money. You got family money. Yeah. You can wear nice clothes every day and not lift a finger. Sounds wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) And he was a pacifist. I mean, he had these certain kind of prevailing notions. He was originally a northerner, but he had never really acted very much on them. He had never really taken much of a stand. So I did like throughout the novel how he is confronted with, is he really going to stand up for what he says he believes? Is he going to be a good employer to these newly freed slaves, or is he going to take advantage of their very desperate situation? And he decides he's not going to take advantage of them. He's going to work right along beside them. He's going to pay them what he would pay anyone. And when other people object and he becomes pretty much an outcast in his community, he says, well, so be it. I appreciate that part of him. He has a huge arc as a person in the story. And I liked his wife too, because yes. she's living a pretty nice little lifestyle too. Right. Quite honestly. It's it's hard work. She doesn't have like a, anyone helping her, but she's doing the laundry. That sounds like quite a process <laughs> and cooking, but she's not for want for anything. You know, she is taken care of. There's money there. She has friends. And she 
decides that she's making a stand too. Yeah. And she loses friends and she loses prestige and clout. And so her character really grows a lot to this person who starts a whole new life all over again post-Civil War. Yeah. It's amazing. So we talked here about some of the symbolism. There's a lot of water. One of the things that is talked about is this fancy plantation, George's neighbor who had the slaves. Yeah. One of the brothers here that comes and works for George just fantasizes and loves this fountain, this fancy fountain on the old plantation. Yeah. He remembers the stories. He remembers looking at it even from a distance that it was kind of far away from where he would have been in the fields. Landry also remembers his mother washing the clothes. And at the end of the book, Isabel, George's wife, is dreaming of building a fountain in her yard. In fact, she goes over to check this fountain that Landry is talking about. And of course, it's broken and decrepit now. Ted Morton wouldn't even sell her or give her this broken down fountain. Now he's out in the field working. So he's trying to fight for uh, his old lifestyle and his old power, which he doesn't have any too much anymore. Yeah. So you've got these themes of the fountain and the water. What do you think was the symbolism there, Nance? I don't know. I felt like there was a lot of symbolism in this book, some of which I felt like I didn't really understand what it really meant. But I thought with the water, maybe twofold. One is water is needed for life. And so just this recognition that Water is just an essential part of life that Landry loved water because it's such a basic need of life. But then, too, I wondered if it was freedom for him in some way that he loved floating in the pond because he felt so weightless. And so he was feeling free of all of the burdens of his life, also the very present burden of slavery, that water for him was a magical place where he would be free. Yeah, I think there was sort of, I think, a baptism. It's almost like Mm. this freeing sense of, I don't have all of the burdens. And I think of the the scars on his back because he was whooped so often. Yeah. But just sort of a healing factor in him or an escape. Yeah. You could envision him out working the fields and just kind of mesmerized or almost associating to the fountain and water and purity, some kind of image of that. And I'm going to kind of go off into a different direction here because there is a theme here of this pond then as a place that is off the property and it's just off in the woods. And in that place by the water, we see that at this point, the son is not dead. Yeah. (laughs) He survived the war. He is home. And we learn that he and his buddy are in a love relationship with each other. Mm -hmm. And they go to the water thinking that's their private spot. Again, it's an an image of water and sort of this is a place where we can come maybe be ourselves. But this gay love story between these two Confederate soldiers back in 
we're going to say 1865. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this is a secret. I kind of had a feeling that maybe the mom knew, but it wasn't talked about. Right. It was a secret. It was hidden. It was between these two people. I thought it was an exploration of prejudice, the way that we punish other people for not being who we think they should be, the way we take advantage of other people. I thought he showed this very effectively, that they couldn't live as they wanted. They knew they would be outcasts. And so they each tried to cope in their own way. One debased himself and suffered from a lot of self-loathing, thinking that he was a terrible person because of this. And then the other really lives in a lot of denial and eventually tries to overcome it through marriage. But of course, this is all, you know, a terrible disaster for them and their relationship. And it's actually even more tragic for Prentice and Landry when Landry comes upon them. I also thought there was a really interesting aspect of class as well. Caleb, his family, they have money, but they have never really fit into Old Ox. They're sort of a part of the community. But the other young man, he is in the most esteemed family in Old Ox and kind of the golden boy. And the family, aside from the gay relationship, they have these huge plans for who he will marry and how he will carry on the family name. And this all conspires against them. Certainly both of them suffer, but then I think it's the ramifications to Prentice and Landry that is even more devastating. Well, yeah, I think that there, there certainly was a love relationship there. But there is a thread in his life that is somewhat manipulative, yeah. controlling. He toys around with his partner. I mean, he's cruel, really. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's cruel. Yeah. And he has the upper hand and he knows that yeah. he has more money, he has more privilege, he has more power. And he realizes that in their relationship. And so he uses that to his advantage. Mm -hmm. Caleb becomes a better person too. I guess that's part of the interest in the story. Some of the characters become better people. Yeah. Like George gets a backbone. Yeah. His wife starts all this, her own business, basically. Mm -hmm. And Caleb starts to grow a little bit of a backbone too. And he realizes he needs to leave mm -hmm. the area. He becomes a hero. <laughs> Break somebody out of prison. I love that. Yeah. I mean, he becomes his own person too. And so some people, they evolve into better people. And then there's some people in the story that become worse. Mm -hmm. They torch the field, which ends up burning almost the entire town right. of old ox i think there's symbolism there too okay talk about it you've got the old people the white culture that wants to keep things in place because they have all the power mm -hmm. and so they try to hurt <laughs> the person in town that's that's making a new way and a new lifestyle for himself and it turns 
back on them basically and burns the whole town down. And hatred, bigotry, I, I think we can see it now. Yeah. I, I have two quotes, Nance. Okay. These are both from Gandhi. Be the change you want to see in the world. That's George. He's going to change regardless of anybody in old law going to change. Yeah. He's changing his way. That is a quote that I really like. And also Gandhi said, our ability to reach unity and diversity will be the beauty and the test of our civilization. The ability to reach unity and diversity will be the beauty and the test of the civilization. So while they were burning, they couldn't change. They, they were resistant to change. They didn't want the union soldiers in their town telling them what to do. Mm -hmm. There were a group of people in power that did not want to change. If you can't change and you can't get to the point of appreciating diversity and all of this, then you are destroying yourselves. We're all in this together. Remember Nancy and band? I remember band, yes. We were always told the weakest person in the band is the score you're going to get. You're only as good as the weakest person. Yeah. And in our culture, we have got to lift up everyone. Yeah. And we're all in this together. And it's everyone's responsibility, I think, to pull everybody along with us, you know? Mm -hmm. We're all in this together. And so I like the symbolism of the opposite of that is hatred destroys yourself. Yeah. Bigotry destroys an entire town of white privilege. Mm -hmm. And I thought Harris did really well showing how in a little town like Old Ox, everyone is interconnected. Some of them grew up together. And so they have this lifetime of knowing each other. They are economic partners in different ways. They have old resentments. And he shows how the action of one person impacts everyone else. And so like you're saying, when you are hating a part of your community, when you're trying to exploit a part of your community, this ripples back to you and eventually will destroy the very thing that you think you're trying to save. I really loved that everyone in the town had opinions. Everyone in the town ends up being implicated. Some suffer where they should not have suffered, like they don't deserve it. Other people, you kind of wish maybe they would have suffered a little bit more, but everyone in some way feels the ramifications of what's happening. I did think at the end, there's kind of this wishful reconciliation and the work that Isabel does that I would hope would be possible, but it actually feels a little bit more like a fantasy. Are you talking about when the general apologizes? No, the fact that she starts this collective community where the freedmen can come and own the property and just because she and her best friend Mildred have become such strong characters, no one bothers them. I mean, I don't know that that actually could have happened that way, but it would be great to think that there would have been people in the South 
taking this kind of stand and that there could be this kind of racial reconciliation. Did you like yeah. the ending? Did you like well, that, that aspect? Yeah, okay. I like that aspect, but I like strong women characters who are going to just say, this is what we're going to do and we're going to do it. Yeah. And I like the unity that they had. And that was a lot for her to take on, realizing that she she was a sewer and a cooker. Yeah. How in the world could she, with her background, know how to do all of that? Right. But okay. I liked it. And I liked that her friend came along with her. Nancy, I really wanted Prentice to find his mother. I know. I was like, okay, George, you go to the courthouse and you find out who bought this woman. Yeah. You go bring her back to her child. How hard is this? But it didn't happen. And I really wanted that for Prentice. So I was hoping that part would have been in the story because through finding his mom, I think he could have healed part of himself. Yeah. Now that you mention it, actually, all the characters who we really liked, they really have unhappy endings in a lot of ways. I guess I won't explicitly spoil the ending, but I can't really think of a happy ending. Any of the characters who really end up becoming better people have. They all really suffer quite a bit. Well, yeah, I think it was a time of suffering. I mean, it was... yeah right after a war. But I didn't look at it really like that. I saw Caleb as starting a life on his own. Okay. Yes, it was hard work. Yeah. But he seemed to be in a better place. True. He was kind of home doing nothing. Yeah. (laughs) Now he's working a solid eight hours or 10 hours a day. Yeah. He has taken care of himself. He's buying his own meals. He's sleeping an attic that he is renting. So he is living a life. Prentice, he's making money. He can go live anywhere, do anything he wants to do. But they are separated from people they love. Well, who does Prentice have that loves him except for his mom? Well, he was separated from Landry. That was really sad. It's a sad story. There's some tragedy for sure, Nance. Yeah. I guess I saw a lot of growth in the characters, and I, I kind of took a different view on it that you did. Okay. I like that. Which I, I kind of like. I was like, okay, these people are flexible in their characters. They're willing to overcome challenges. They're willing to start anew. They're willing to kind of pick themselves up and move on. Okay. So I have another symbolism question for you. Uh-oh. what do you think the symbolism was of the beast that george hunts oh yeah the book opens he's hunting this black hairy beast sometimes he walks on two legs sometimes on four this is a beast his father hunted and that george has been hunting his whole life and sometimes he will glimpse the beast but he has never captured the beast And so this beast reappears at different points throughout the story as we are seeing the story from George's perspective. What do you think the beast was? I don't know. It was kind of murky for me. I wonder if it was courage or fear, like overcoming fear Hmm. or the unknown, something like that. What did you think? I couldn't get a firm handle on this either, but I wondered if maybe it was prejudice and hatred. 
George had come from the North. His father was a Northerner. And of course, there were a lot of people in the North who were abolitionists who really hated what was going on in the South. This had been debated for decades and decades and decades. And I wondered if it was this beast of recognizing that in part of their country, men and women and children were being enslaved. And that even though we're at the end of the war, there is still this ongoing prejudice and hatred and bigotry. And George doesn't know how to do anything about that prejudice and hatred. Mm. And at the end, he has done something. He does what's in his power. He stands up against the establishment. Yeah. Be interesting if other of our listeners put in their own thoughts on what they thought that beast was, but I didn't think about it in that way, Nancy. So that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. I have another question for you. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> At the beginning of the book was nearly unbearable for me to read because of Isabel's grief in hearing that her son had been killed during the war. I'm a mother, and I thought that Nathan Harris's writing so captured what I felt that that grief must be like. It was really difficult to read. And then Caleb comes back. The mother really never sees Caleb for who he is. She never sees his weaknesses. You know, she loves him so much. She only sees the best of who he is. As a mother, it's so easy to do. And then at the end, it's unbearable because all she wants is to still have her son around and to be with him. And Caleb has needed to leave. Mm -hmm. She gets very infrequent letters from him and reads them over and over again. That whole mother-son dynamic, I thought, was painful for different reasons throughout the book. Yeah. The beginning of the book is hard because, oh my golly, you feel so sorry for her. Yeah. She's lost her son. She can't eat. She can't function. She can't get out of bed. She's not showering. She's completely immobile. Yeah. Obviously. How devastating is that? Knowing that her son made it to safety, when she finally realizes that he's out of the county and that he has made it, gives her a lot of relief. Yeah. But in some ways, she was keeping him back. It was her need to have him close and once he had some experiences outside of that home, he did something really heroic and he grew up and he didn't really need his mother the same way. So I was really happy with Caleb that he grew so much and that he developed the way he did. And he left old ox in that old life and he started establishing a new life. He's got a whole life ahead of himself where he can make more money and grow and develop as a person. That's really interesting. You really see this book as a much more hopeful tale than I did. I found it overall a very sad book, but I like the hope that you pulled out of it. Oh, yeah, I didn't really think it was a sad book. The main characters that we cared mostly about were characters that I thought were really rising. But I think it's tragic because people had a choice and some people became better people and some people did not. And the same today. You have a choice to make in life, Nance, right? Mm -hmm. Every day. Our pastor used to say you can get bitter or you can get better. 
Oh, I like that. I never heard of that before. That fits this book well. Yeah, it really does. Next time, we're going to talk more about the sweetness of water. See, Nancy, even the sweetness of water sounds positive. It does. Okay. Our website is frontporchbookclub.com. Our episodes come out twice a month on the first and third Wednesday of each month. See you next time, Lenny. Okay. See you, Nance. Bye-bye. Bye. Ha, ha, ha.